God, we thank you. We praise you because you are all glorious. God, you are magnificent. You are holy. You are worthy of all honor. And God, I pray that even now our hearts would bring you honor by submitting to you once again. And God, as we open up your word, which you have so graciously given us, may you teach us again who you are, who we are, how we should live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The more I read and study the Bible, the more I am in awe of it. There's a verse in Hebrews 4.12 that says, The word of God is living and active. Do you know that? Have you felt that in your life, that as you read it, sometimes you just get pierced by it? Uh, And I'm just amazed that the more that I study it, the more we see this intricate story being woven together. I remember getting a glimpse of that back when I was in college. Uh, And for those of you that don't know me, know that wasn't last year. That was about uh, 16 years ago. Um, I decided that I should serve at the church that I was going to, so I I signed up to serve. And and the first thing they had me do was to teach all the kids from age 3 through 6th grade for like 10 minutes at the beginning of the Sunday school hour. And I was just an abject failure at that. So they didn't ask me to do that again the second year. But the second year, they did ask me to teach sixth grade Sunday school. And they handed me a book uh, that walked through the book of Exodus in the Bible. And I thought, oh, Exodus, that's easy. I got that. Moses, the Red Sea, no problem. But I was amazed at how much I learned that year about the book of Exodus. And, you know, here I was, my job was to teach these sixth graders, and I was just amazed at what I was learning in my own life from the book of Exodus. And I want to tell you a little bit about that, and I have a a reason for doing this. I'll I'll get around to it later. But um, one of the things I learned about the book of Exodus is that it's not just the story of what happened thousands of years ago. It's also a word picture for us. So think about this. If you've never heard this before, I hope you'll be as amazed as I was back then. The people in Exodus, the Israelites, were born in slavery in Egypt. Generations of them were born in slavery. They could not rescue themselves. So they cried out to God, and God raised up a prophet named Moses who led them out of Egypt. And through mighty miracles of God, like the ten plagues and the Red Sea and all of that, the Israelites were led out, and they were led towards the Promised Land. They had to spend about 40 years in a timeout in the desert before they got there because of their sin, but eventually then they got into the Promised Land. Now that's a word picture for us because we were born in slavery. Not in Egypt, but we were born in slavery to sin, every single one of us. We could not rescue ourselves. So God sent a prophet named Jesus to rescue us. And through mighty miracles, uh, his death and his resurrection, all who put their faith in Jesus Christ can be saved and we are brought into a promised inheritance, the promised land of heaven. You see how that all works together? I, I was just amazed when I saw that. Now, the more I read the Bible, the more I see things like that all the time. And I think that we're going to see a little bit of that today in our sermon as we're looking at the book of Haggai. We've been studying the book of Haggai for the last few weeks here, and we've only got one Sunday left after today, so I really encourage you all to to dive into your own personal study of the book of Haggai this week. Um, But what we see in Haggai is the people were asked by God to rebuild a temple. But it's not just a temple. It's not just about a physical building. I think that there's, just like in that Exodus story I told you, I think there's something wonderful for us in this, a word picture for our lives. You see, the temple was never just about a physical building in the Old Testament. It was about God's desire to be with his people. 
So we're going to continue our walk through the book of Haggai today. We're going to look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, and I'm going to break that into three parts here. I'm sorry, I should be getting my slides up here. Uh, We're going to break it into three parts, and then after that, we're going to ask, what does this mean for us? Okay, so first I want to read Haggai chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 3. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? So the first thing we're going to look at today is simply a recap from verses 1 through 3. Now again, in Israel's history, just some things you need to know, the temple was really important. It was the place where God chose to meet with his people. Now, God lives in heaven, but he also chose to have his presence dwell in the temple so that he could meet with his people there. And if the people would follow God rightly and obey his rules, they could indeed meet with him at the temple. So their spiritual life was centered around this idea of them meeting with God at a physical place, the temple. Now, in the years before Haggai spoke to the people, the temple had been neglected. It had been in ruins because, remember, if we back up the story even a little bit further, God sent an enemy nation to invade the people because the people were were so sinful that God sent this nation to punish them, to carry them off into exile. And as that happened, the, the enemy nation destroyed the temple. God wanted them to rebuild. And indeed, they did start to rebuild. When God brought them back to Israel, they started to rebuild, but then they stopped. Uh, they chose to stop rebuilding the temple because of pressure from their enemy. There were enemies around them that didn't want them to continue to rebuild the temple, so the people stopped rebuilding. And because the people stopped, God stopped blessing them. We read that in chapter 1. Remember how they worked and they worked and they worked, but they never had enough? And why did it happen like that? Well, God himself said that he blew away what they brought home. His blessing was not on them because they were not doing what he had asked them to do in rebuilding the temple. So in Haggai, the message is that God wanted the people again to rebuild the temple. And in a wonderful passage that we looked at last Sunday at the end of chapter 1, the people did indeed get to work on the temple. Now in chapter 2, as they're working on the temple, God asks them to compare with what it looked like before. And in verse 3, he said, does it not seem to you like nothing? So he was asking them, think about what it was like before. And there were probably some people around who had lived through all of that. Uh, They they were in Israel, they were brought into exile, and then they came back. So they would have remembered, they would have had a, a picture in their mind of what the temple used to look like. And God was asking them, compare it now, this this heap of ruins that you see. What does it seem like to you now? Does it not seem like nothing? In Ezra 3.12, the same scene, it says that the people wept when they saw the temple being rebuilt. Now, it's possible that they were weeping with tears of joy, but it's also possible that they wept as they compared this, this pile of rubble to what they had used to know. Now, do you ever do that when you think about what you used to have? Or maybe it's when you look in the mirror or you you look at a picture of what you looked like when you were younger. Do any of you ever weep when you see, oh, I used to look like that? Um, For some reason, I still look like I'm 22, but... um, But for me, maybe it's more when I think about, like, the Twins. Do you, do you ever remember how the Twins used to win World Series? And, like, division title year after year after year. It wasn't even that long ago, and now they're bottom feeders. And anybody cried over the Twins recently? 
we have hope this year though, right? Uh, maybe. Um, but anyways, as the people were looking at the temple, they realized that it did not look like it used to look. So again, just a, a final recap here. God wanted to meet with his people at the temple, but the people neglected it for a while, but now again they were starting to rebuild the temple. So let's move on to verses 4 and 5. But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. So our second point today is command and blessing. Command and blessing. Um, the commands in these verses were for the people to be strong and to work. So it was God's idea. God is the one who is telling them to get to work. He was the one telling them to be strong. And as such, he wanted the people to work wholeheartedly at it. When God asks us to do something, we should do it wholeheartedly. It reminds me of Colossians 3.23, which says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord and not for men. So when God asked the people to rebuild the temple, he wanted them to work at it for him. Now we've already seen this concept of work. Last Sunday, like I said in 1.14, we saw that the people got to work on the temple. And now in chapter 2, which by the way is about a month later, Haggai tells us the dates of when these visions from the Lord came to him, and this one is about a month after they started rebuilding the temple, God reiterated that he wanted them to continue to be strong and work at the temple. Unless you think that God was just telling them to do something in their own strength, what he said to them right after he said to work was, I am with you. This is the second time now in the book of Haggai we've seen that. We saw it again last Sunday at the end of chapter 1, and we see it again now, God's promise of his blessing of being with the people. So the command was followed by the promise of the blessing. God didn't just ask the people to build, he strengthened them to build as well. Uh, this is who God is. He wants to be with us. Yes, he wants us to work. But he doesn't just want us to work in our own power. He wants to strengthen us for what we have. And let's just stop here and, and do application for a moment. Do any of you ever feel overwhelmed with the work that you have to do? Think about whether that's your job. Some of you maybe just work to the bone at your job. Or maybe it's with raising your kids. Or maybe it's your to-do list. Or maybe it's the to-do list your spouse gives you. Or whatever it is. Do you ever feel overwhelmed with the work that you have to do? You know, we can go through life one way. It's the wrong way to go through life. Just worrying about all that stuff that we have to do and feeling like we don't have enough time to do it, we don't have enough strength to do it, we don't have enough energy to do it. That's the wrong way to look at life. Because God will strengthen us for the things that he wants us to do. <coughs> now, maybe that means that some of the things that we're doing that are tiring us out or causing that stress are things that God doesn't want us to do. There's no promise from God there to strengthen us for the things he doesn't want us to do. But the promise of God is to equip us for the good things to do His will. That's from Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. We can pray that God will strengthen us. I want us to go through life that way. Wouldn't that be refreshing? To go through life trusting, okay God, I'm just going to go and do the things that you want me to do and I'm going to trust that you strengthen me to do them. That's what we can live in day after day after day. I read one theologian this week who said that the promise, I am with you, is the silver thread throughout the Bible. And it's amazing how much that phrase pops up throughout the Bible. Keep your eyes open. I, was, I think I mentioned this last Sunday. 
So I was keeping my, open, my eyes open this week, and at least two times, just in my personal devotional reading, I wasn't looking for it, I just noticed two times it popped up where I was reading the Bible. Keep your eyes open for it. You'll see it all throughout the Bible. I am with you. I, I think it's the biggest blessing in the Bible. Whether we think about it as the blessing of God being with us now, we can have a relationship with him right now through Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit, or whether we think about eternity where we get to live in God's presence. I think the biggest blessing in the Bible is that God wants to be with us. He wants to bring us to himself and change us in the process. So in Haggai, even before the temple was finished, God promised to be with his people. So the people got to work. God commanded them. They did it. He strengthened them to do it. And our work, combined with God's presence, is a powerful thing. In fact, I would say that one of the ways that we see God working powerfully among us is when we join with him in the work that he wants us to do. So whose work is it? Is it God's work or is it our work? Well, I would say that it's God's power in us as we do what he tells us to do. See, God told him that he was with them. Uh, he covenanted them when they came out of Egypt and he was still with them. His spirit was still among them. This is who God is. God promises to be with his people and to continue to strengthen us. That's true for us now. But let's take note of one important way in which this was true in the book of Haggai. It had to do with the temple. When the people neglected the temple, God's blessing wasn't with them, but when they rebuilt, his presence was with them. And that leads me to my big idea, for at least the first part of my big idea for today. God's plan is to fill his temple with his presence. Okay? There's going to be a little part that I'm going to add on to that later, but God's plan is to fill his temple with his presence. Let's move on then to verses 6 through 9. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations and the desired of all nations will come and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Do you get the idea that God's talking there? How often? Says the Lord, declares the Lord. He's speaking to his people. Our third point today has to do with the word glory. Now, if you want to play everybody's favorite game called Stump a Theologian or uh, Stump Your Friend Sitting Next to You, ask them to define the word glory. In fact, some of you may want to do Instead of talking about the weather after church day, which wonderful weather, okay, yep, we all agree, beautiful weather, okay, uh, we've got that settled. Ask somebody to define the word glory. Um... Like, or try to stump a theologian or a pastor. It's a really difficult word. I have struggled to try to understand this word for years. I think I've got some glimpses of what the word means, and I just want to walk you through a little bit of what I have come to. So here's my definition for glory. Glory is the radiance that shines forth from God because of the fact that he is perfect. So if you were to catch a glimpse of God uh, before you died, you would see glory just radiating from him. That's what it would look like to see God, just this immense glory that uh, you wouldn't be able to describe because you'd probably die in the very next moment. Um, 
But in this part of our passage today, God told his people that he would fill this house with glory. Speaking about the temple being rebuilt, God would fill it with glory. Now as you read through the rest of this passage, what that meant is that silver and gold would be brought into it. So there's kind of a lower definition of glory then. I've given you kind of a high definition of glory, but there's also a lower definition of glory that means beautiful or or something valuable like silver and gold. And we, we might use the word glory to say... Uh, wasn't that a glorious sunset that we saw? And that's the right way to use the word. Or wasn't that a glorious taco that I just ate? Anybody have a glorious taco this week? Um, well, in verses 6 and 7, God said he was going to shake the heavens and the earth so that the desirable things of nations would come in and people could rebuild the temple. Now, that verse is quoted in Hebrews 12, and we'll talk more about that in just a little bit. But the result was that the temple would become glorious. And it was pretty amazing how this was fulfilled. Remember those enemies who stopped the people from rebuilding the temple? the, The neighboring nations did not want the Israelites to rebuild their temple. So they compelled them by force to stop. Those same enemies were then commanded by their king Darius to pay for the rebuilding of the temple. So how how did God's people get the money for rebuilding the temple? Their enemies brought in gold and silver. And as a result, the people were able to rebuild the temple, and it was called glorious because of, of the way that it looked. And God can do that. He's the God of the whole world. Everything belongs to him, so he just called in what was rightly his and brought it to his people and to his temple. So the temple then became glorious, and to a degree, what that meant is that it would be more beautiful. That's that lower definition of the word glory, that with all the silver and gold there, it would be more beautiful. But I think there's more to it than that. I think there's way more to it than just silver and gold. I think that as God, excuse me, as the people of God obeyed and worked on rebuilding the temple, that he promised to fill his temple with an even higher glory. And that's where I get to the next part of my big idea. God's plan is to fill his temple with his presence and his glory. One of the results of this filling would be peace. In verse 9, we see that peace. As the people obeyed God, they could have peace with God and they could have peace with the people around them. Okay, so just to recap now all of verses 1 through 9. In Haggai's day, God commanded the people to rebuild the temple. And as they did that, God promised the blessing of his presence with them and the blessing of his glory filling the temple. So we should ask then, what does this mean for us? This is how we study the Bible, by the way. You, you first look at what did it mean for the people who it was originally written to, and then once we've understood it in its context, then we can ask the question, what does it mean for us? How do we apply it to our lives? So what does it mean for us? Well, I started off my sermon telling you that stuff about Exodus that I learned uh, 16 years ago. Exodus is a true story of how God rescued his people out of slavery in Egypt and brought them into the promised land, but it's also a word picture for us. And I think we see the same thing going on with Haggai today. The book of Haggai is the true story about people rebuilding a physical temple, but I think that there is a word picture in it for us. Now, as I've been saying over the last few weeks, The New Testament reality is that those of us who know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord are the temple. It's an amazing, stunning truth. It's more amazing the more that I look at it. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time today convincing you on that because I've already done that the last three weeks. And if you need more convincing, I just encourage you, uh, you can go back and listen to the sermons that I preached already. They're online at our website. Um, 
But it's a stunning truth that we, in the new covenant, who know Jesus Christ, are the temple. And Haggai, as we're looking at it, it was not just about a physical temple building. It was about the presence of God with his people. But also God was working on the hearts of the people so that they could follow him the way that he wanted them to. And if he did, he would bless them. That's why my big idea, again, I'll put it up here for you, God's plan is to fill his temple with his presence and his glory. But if we are the temple, what does that mean for us? I mean, I feel like I'm out of my depth here even asking that question because we're talking about we're the temple and God wants to fill his temple with his presence and his glory. I feel like I'm talking about things that I know very little about. But, but yet God has revealed them to us. So let's look at it. What does it mean for us if we're the temple and God wants to fill his temple with his presence and his glory? Well, let's back the train up a little bit. Um, I think you'll enjoy this. I want to do a quick walk through the Bible with, on the word glory and specifically how it's used in regard to the temple. Okay? Um, I've got some verses up here and we're going to start with Moses. When Moses met with God up on the mountain, he came down, and what did the people see? Anybody remember? His, his face was glowing. He had met with God, and as a result, his face was glowing. It says his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. And then moving on, part of what God told Moses to do up on the mountain was that he told him and the people to build a tabernacle, which was basically a mobile temple in which God would meet with his people. And in Exodus 40:34, it says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So God's people did what he told them to do, and as a result, he filled the tabernacle with his glory, the place where he met with them. Now, moving on, God then stirred up King Solomon to build a temple. And when Solomon had his priests bring the Ark of the Covenant into the newly constructed temple, here's what it says in 1 Kings 8.11, the glory of the Lord filled his temple. But after that, the story takes a downturn. God's people made a series of really bad decisions. You can read about these in the books of Kings and Chronicles. The nation of Israel just kind of got further and further away from God, although it was more like a roller coaster of ups and downs. It ended up going more down than up. And as a result, God sent his people into exile, and the temple was destroyed. But it was, there's something even worse than those things that happened to the temple, and it has to do with Ezekiel chapters 10 and 11, a really sad story in the Bible, where we see the glory of the Lord departing from the temple. God had filled the temple with his glory, and then he removed his presence because the people weren't seeking him the right way. That's why the book of Haggai is so important. It wasn't just that the physical temple needed to be rebuilt. It's that God wanted his presence to be with his people again. And when they did, in Haggai 2.8, he promised to fill this house with glory. So the Old Testament picture is a picture of God wanting to be among his people, but the people had made such bad decisions that he removed his presence from them. And if you think about it, that's really our story. Before coming to Christ, that's our story. We may have good intentions about wanting to know God, about wanting to live our right, lives the right way, but by our sin, we mess it up. And what does the Bible then say about us in the New Testament in Romans 3.23? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
So do you get it? God wants his glory to dwell among his people, but we on our own fall short of God's glory. So what can be done? Well, we need God to do his work. And praise the Lord, he did just that in sending his son, Jesus Christ, to cleanse us from our sins. And it's pretty cool what's said about Jesus. I told you a couple weeks ago that Jesus called himself the temple. And what that meant was that when he was walking on earth, that he was the place where God met with his people. But also we see some cool stuff about God's glory revealed in Jesus. Look at this verse from John 1.14. The word, that's Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We had seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So when Jesus came, it was the glory of God coming. So again, God wants to be with us. Our sin gets in the way, so he sent his Son, full of glory, to bring us to himself. That's what the Bible calls the gospel message, the message of God sending his Son to rescue us from our sin. And do you know what the Bible sometimes, how the Bible sometimes describes the gospel message? The gospel of the glory of Christ. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. And just two verses later, it says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness. And let's just stop right there. I know I put the rest of the verse on the screen, but can you imagine darkness? Just nothing but darkness. And then God says, let light shine out of darkness. Can you imagine what that looked like? I mean, you couldn't even probably shield your eyes from it. Just this burst of God's glory. So the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ same God who created the universe wants to speak to our hearts to reveal the glory of God in the face of Christ. So again, God's plan is to make us the temple and to fill us with his glory. Now think about that in regard to Haggai. God moved so that the enemy nations brought silver and gold to the temple building. But do you really think it was silver and gold that God was ultimately after? Do you really think that that was God's end game to just have a, a building on earth, one building on one place in earth that had some gold and silver on it and looked kind of nice? Was that his end game? Not a chance. Like I said, that verse is quoted in Hebrews 12. And in Hebrews 12, uh, 26 and forward, the point is that God is giving us a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So he's shaking the earth so that the, desire, the, the valuable things of all nations could come into the temple and God is going to give us a kingdom. What are the valuable things that are going to come into the temple? It's people. So just like God stirred in the surrounding enemy nations in Haggai's day to bring gold and silver in, now God is stirring in the hearts of men, women, and children all over the world to come to himself, to come to Jesus, to be part of the temple. Now, Hebrews 12 then goes on to say that our response should be thankfulness, that we should worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. So God is doing this wonderful work and he wants us to worship him. And by the way, that's what the temple was about. The temple was about not only God's presence being with the people, but the response of the people was to worship him. Their whole lives were to be centered, spiritually speaking, around the temple so that they could worship him. The New Testament reality is that we are the temple and our lives should be taken up with worship. 
Honoring God with what we say and do and think. God is glorious. He deserves glory. He wants us to bring glory to Him. And as we do that, we can actually be with Him in His presence. And it it even goes further than this. Um, God wants to glorify us too. In Romans 8.30, we had learned that that's the end of God's plan for us, is that we would be glorified. That, that He could make us like Christ so that we could live with Him forever in the perfect place and we, ourselves, will be made perfect. So the temple stands as a symbol of God's desire to be with His people. That's why He's drawing, stirring the hearts of all people to come to Him. Like I mentioned from Exodus 19 a few weeks ago, it's because God views people, his people, as his treasured possession. It's not, not the gold and silver at the physical temple building, but people, you and me and the people of this world, coming to him and living rightly with him. So it's interesting then. In Haggai 2, what we saw was an initial fulfillment. God said he was going to shake the heavens and the earth and the desired things of all nations were going to come in. We saw an initial fulfillment as the gold and silver came in, but we see a fuller fulfillment now as people from all across the world come to God. That's just a little Bible tip, by the way. Oftentimes we see that pattern. In the Old Testament we see a prophecy and we see an initial fulfillment that kind of gets at it, but then in the New Testament we see an even fuller fulfillment of it. So I think that's what we see going on here. So, God wants to make us his temple and fill us with his presence and his glory. And if you don't believe me yet, you can just flip to Ephesians 2, 19-22. I'm not going to read those now. But in those verses, it says that God is making his people into a building, a temple, in which God lives by his spirit. Again, like, I almost just feel like stopping and saying, God, this is, this is above me. This is, like, I'm not worthy of this. I'm not worthy that you should make your presence with me that you should do your work of transforming me and making me more like Christ, more glorious. But that's exactly what God tells us in his word that he wants to do. So what does it mean for us? Well, I think it means that we should glorify God. Now, it's kind of weird to think of it that way. God, who is all-glorious, perfect in beauty for us to glorify him, but yet that's how the Bible speaks of it. Look at Psalm 86.12. It says, I will glorify your name forever. Or in the New Testament, Romans 15.6, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not sure I fully understand it, but we are to glorify God. I mean, I, I kind of understand it, so let me kind of explain it to you. God is glorious. He wants us to be with him in his presence, and as we spend time in his presence, we behold his glory. So look at 2 Corinthians 3.18. We, who with unveiled faces, all reflect the Lord's glory. That word reflect can also mean contemplate. So the idea is we get into God's presence and we just gaze on his beauty. And as we do that, it goes on to say in the verse, we are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord with the Spirit. So do you get that? We enter into God's presence, we gaze at His glory, we worship Him in His presence, and He changes us and into His likeness with ever-increasing glory. Do you get this? 
This is, this is the God of the universe who is all glorious invites you into his presence through Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, so that we can meet with him and behold his glory. And as, he does, as we do that, he changes our hearts to make us more like Christ with ever-increasing glory. It's amazing. When people see us, they should almost see us like Moses. That when he came down from the mountain, his face was shining because he had met with the Lord. There should be something different about our lives because we are people who meet with the Lord. Again, it's just almost too much to think of. So I want to I switch gears here now because I feel like I'm just entering into these lofty places that I can't even grab onto anything. Um, let's get practical here. How do we do this? How do we meet with God like that? Well, first, remember that God wants to meet with us so that our response of wanting to meet with God comes because he calls us. He, he is the one who initiates this relationship. And if he wants to be with us, what should we do? Well, I would sure hope that we would want to be with him. So let's be people who seek God. And there are lots of ways that we can seek God. Um, we can read our Bibles. That's, that's a great way to spend time in God's presence. We can pray. We can worship. We can sing songs to God. Uh, we can serve God. We can serve other people. Uh, we can come to church and have fellowship together, fellowship with God. Um, we can tell other people about Jesus. And, and that's a great one, by the way, because the more people who know Jesus, the more people there are to glorify God. So there are a bunch of things that we can do, but more important than doing these things is the heart attitude behind it all. So let me ask a question about your heart. And this is probably the key question that I want to get to today, and I'm, I'm soon wrapping up here. Do you desire to meet with God? Do you desire to meet with God? You think of in Haggai's day, in the, the 16 years before Haggai spoke, the people had started to rebuild the temple, but then they stopped. And what happened? Yes, there were enemies around that were trying to stop them, but, but look at our lives. There are all sorts of things that we could point to in our lives to say, well, here's why I'm not meeting with God because of this or this. It's a heart issue. Do you desire to meet with God? He desires that for you. He desires it so deeply that he sent Jesus for you. Not just to save you from your sins, but to bring you into his very presence. God is the God who says, I am with you. Do you want to be with him? I hope you do. I hope it defines who you are. Our desire should be to live our entire lives such that everything we do and say, we do it for God and with God. Now, if that's not you quite yet, that's okay. God is patient. We're all in process. I'm not saying that I've figured this all out. I'm not saying that I'm perfect at it. But I am saying that this should be the desire of our hearts to meet with God, to spend time in his presence, basking in his beauty, uh, like it says in 2 Corinthians 3, reflecting or contemplating the Lord's glory. And as we meet with him, we are changed. God does his work in our hearts. Here's the conclusion. The temple is about God's presence and glory with his people. 
God is already doing a wonderful work with his people, among his people. Our job is to be strong and to do the work that he has for us to do. Now that means following Jesus, that means obeying God's commands, but more importantly than that, it means hearts that are committed to meeting with God, that deeply desire to love him and to walk with him. And then as we work with God from our hearts, putting effort into the things that he has for us, he strengthens us to do all those things that we have to do. So again, our, our lives can be transformed by this idea that God wants to work in us. So if you want God to move powerfully in your life, I highly suggest that you glorify him by seeking him, by spending time in his presence. And the results will be awesome. He will be with us. He will transform us. He will even glorify us. And we can see him do his kingdom work through us. And as a result, God is glorified. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you that it is your desire to be with us. That, that shaking that you are doing of the heavens, uh, of the, uh, the earth, that you're doing it because you want us to come to you. We thank you that through Jesus we can come to you. And if there are any here who just aren't sure yet if they know Jesus, we pray that, uh, that they would give their hearts to Jesus right now. God, we thank you that you love us, that you invite us into your presence. I pray that we would be people whose heart's desire is to meet with you, to walk with you, to honor you, to obey you. And as we do those things, God, that we would be strong and do the work that you have called us to do, but that we wouldn't do that work in our own power, that we would do it with the power that you provide. May you equip us with everything good for doing your will. And may that be for your glory. And God, we just, again, come before you and we acknowledge that you are glorious. You are perfect. You are beautiful. You are worthy of all honor and praise. So we, God, with our hearts now, want to bring you honor and glory. And we thank you, God, that as we join with you in what you're doing, that we trust that you will continue to build your kingdom. The church is your idea. You are building it. And God, we just want to give ourselves to you, to meet with you, to serve you, to become more like Christ. Thank you, God, for your work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.